The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Let's get to our guest, Middle Katetsha, head of emerging market strategy at TD Securities. Middle, I got to ask you a question I asked a little bit earlier this morning. It still kind of galls me. Um, the comments from Bill Dudley. Now, I understand, but he's basically saying that if the stock market is optimistic, then the Fed is going to punish everybody with with even higher interest rates. Um, and, and I just want to ask you the basic question and semi-answer it myself. Does the stock market cause inflation? And in my semi-answer, and you tell me if I'm wrong or right, when you, when you have an illness, you, you don't try to cure the symptoms. You cure the disease. Markets and their optimism, whatever, are symptoms of the Fed's battle with inflation, how successful the Fed is or might be. It's inflation that's the disease, not the markets. Does that make sense to you? It does make sense. Um, but at the same time, I think the Fed is probably looking at the easing in financial conditions that has been taking place via weaker dollar as well as stronger stock markets. And probably looking at this as, uh, as going against the impacts of their policy decisions. It does effectively, whether it's direct or indirect, have some impact on inflation as it does boost uh, balance sheets of companies, consumers, uh, feel healthier spending increases, and um, potentially it could feed into wages. I mean, there's a number of angles here that the Fed is probably looking at. And the reality is that we know that core services inflation in the U.S. tied to the labor market is still very, very high and elevated. And the Fed is concerned that uh, they will need to hike rates much more significantly. So, of course, if equities are much stronger, it kind of plays into that to some extent. I do understand what you're saying, that it, partly it is a symptom, and that's very true. Uh, but I do think that the easing in financial conditions in general uh, is probably not something the Fed wants to see at this point in the cycle. However, uh, I, I, I think that what Brian stated perfectly is it seems how investors look at this. The, the Fed is punishing us. The Fed is causing pain. If you look at it from the Fed's point of view, they're doing what's necessary, unfortunately to bring down ultra-high inflation, and if they ease up because investors feel the feel pain, you know, it's actually the workers are going to feel the pain, not the investors as much. Um, how do you handle that as someone who's got to run money? Because now you have to gauge two um, elements. You've got to gauge the Fed, and yeah. you've got to gauge the market's <laughs> reaction, <laughs> you know? Two. <laughs> 
No, that that's right. I mean, look, I think pain is is the, uh, the the key word here, and I think really where the pain is something that the Fed is targeting is going to be in the labor market. And as yet, we're not seeing that. We've seen anecdotal evidence that many companies are starting to look at shedding labor and uh, start layoffs, uh, the process of layoffs. But the reality is, if you look at the jobs data, it's still pretty strong. Wage inflation is still very high, and I think the Fed sees this as key. Um, in terms of, I mean, say, inflicting pain, but it will be jobs pain that's going to be the key here rather than probably asset markets. Uh, and when they do finally start to see that coming through, I think then we can start talking about hitting the terminal rate and potentially even cutting rates further out. But at this point, we're, we're just not there. Uh, and I think you know that pain partly and indirectly when, when companies are struggling in a sense of against higher interest rates and pressure on profits, which are likely to intensify, uh, that will hurt equity markets. That will potentially lead to uh, more layoffs, and indirectly that could put some lower pressure, easing pressure on the wages. Uh, and yeah. so I think all of that is, is directly going to be linked to Fed policy. So clearly wages, very big part of this story, as you mentioned, uh, and we had a big bounce over the past 18 months, uh, coincides with we did have a pandemic. Uh, so it's a big question. Is it a one-time bump, or is there some structural change in the economy now that could be permanent, which gives you this feedback loop in which prices and wages drive each other up? Yeah, I think um, the risk is that what we've seen via COVID and the, the structural shifts that we've seen in the labor market, you know, the great resignation, uh, the shift in uh, de- demographics, the whole structure of the labor market shifting towards a significant work-from-home type bias productivity changes, all has an impact that could be more prolonged uh, going forward and, and, and could weigh on the Fed thinking. And I think the reality is at the moment, uh, you know, as we talk about, we keep talking about wages, but really wages are the key here. If we don't see any easing in pressure uh, in wage growth and, and, and earnings going forward, it, it does suggest the Fed's policy is not taking effect. And I think that means, and again, we go back to the issue of pain, but, but all of that means that we will probably need to suffer more pain uh, via even higher rates, a higher terminal rate uh, going forward. Look, we think the terminal could get up to 5.5% um, into next year, but the risks are still skewed towards even higher rates if we don't see an easing in these pressures. So what does this mean for emerging markets? Because um, coming into the end of the year, a lot of people have said that's where we're going to see opportunities. If for no other reason, then the inflation problem isn't as bad. Uh, and yes, the, the Fed may put pressure on the dollar and downward pressure on emerging market currencies, but they still see some you know, areas where you can make some money. What do you see? I think emerging markets have been battered uh, significantly in the last year or so. And obviously, a lot of that is through higher Fed rates. It's through uh, general pressure on risk assets and uh, worries that uh, China's growth is weakening and COVID concerns, et cetera, et cetera. And I think you know, the one positive factor for EM into the next year is positioning is very, very light. We've seen a huge outflow from EM assets. I think what will benefit EM is if the Fed, if the market sees a Fed peak uh, and, and potentially starts pricing and easing, that will start pushing flows back into emerging markets, assets that are in some ways pretty cheap and underinvested. So I'm a little bit more constructive on EM next year. I know there's going to be a lot of economic pain. Uh, I'm not particularly bullish on China next year, but I do think we may see better prospects for EM assets.
We've just seen China leave the loan prime rates unchanged, the one year at 365 and the five year at 4.30%. So no change there, no extra stimulus. Um, your thoughts on China here in the shorter term where they have these issues tied to the reopening? I think China is going to struggle in the near term. I think the, the reopening process is still a little bit um, uncertain. It's still got a lot of volatility in it. We can hear anecdotal evidence of uh, a ramp up in COVID cases, even if the official numbers are not showing that to some extent because they're not counting asymptomatic cases. The, the data, I think, is going to be fairly weak in the next one or two months. But medium term, I think the opening up is a positive. I think as we go into next year, it will help to push some upside risk to Chinese activity, uh, potentially getting us up to sort of 5% or above growth. Uh, we're not talking about 7 8% that we've seen in the past. But I think you know, there is still a lot of constraints on the economy. Trade is weakening. Uh, exports aren't going to pick up anytime soon. Uh, consumers are still very cautious. The property sector is still under a lot of pressure despite recent measures. So it's going to be a very slow grind to recovery for China's yeah. economy in the next uh, several months. Well, there are a lot of concerns, uh, possibly a budding humanitarian disaster in that uh, the cases are starting to run through a population that's not fully vaccinated. And then also we had the U.S. expressing concerns that we might see some mutations that could extend uh, the, the, the grip of this virus on on uh, humankind, as it were. Anyway, Middle, thanks very much. Middle Katetsha from TD Securities. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.